There you are. All right. Good morning. Good morning. It's Saturday, November 22nd, 2014, and that means that we are doing solder smoke. Let me guess. Hold on. You correct me if I'm wrong. Is this 168? 168, Bill. All right. We got Pete Giuliano out there on the left coast, um, somewhere in the in the wilds of of Los Angeles. Are you in Los? Are you in LA County? No, Ventura County. Just Ventura County. That of... sounds cool. Ventura Boulevard. Yeah. We always heard about oh, California yeah. places. Yeah. Yeah. All right, out there in California in La La Land, we're back here on the frigid East Coast. You'll be happy to hear it's about 25 degrees out there. Uh, Pete makes that LA living seem awful nice. But uh, welcome everybody to Solder Smoke. This is the Thanksgiving edition. We Pete and I decided we should get this uh, this one out before the festivities begin because we all have festivity responsibilities and uh we want to clear the decks and be ready to do what we're supposed to do for the big thanksgiving celebration so what have you been up to pete well uh bill i'm uh, continuing to work with uh the arduino and uh on my bench right now is um i have this uh, pll using the s uh si5351 and uh, <clears throat> I've got it generating two frequencies, which uh, made me very happy. Then, then you know, in the in the spirit of experimentation, I I'm trying to make an automatic band switch. You know, so this way you push a button or you do something, and it'll switch bands. So I can um, build this into a, a a bigger project that I've got on the bench. Anyway, I, I wanted to share with you that I, that I had a, I've had a really interesting experience because I've made some videos and shared some information and the first thing that happens is uh oh, your programming is a little sloppy <laughs> you know or oh, geez you you could have done that more efficiently and uh you know why did you do this you use too many uh arduino pins and what have you and and so i ha i'm taking one step back and saying you know get a grip guys i'm just learning here uh, I mean, a year ago, I was able to do let on, let off, you know, <laughs> and, and and now I'm I'm able to uh, build some PLL or DDS, and uh, I'm venturing out. But that also is a a good lesson for me personally. Uh, I get a lot of inquiries about things that I build, and I'm talking on the hardware side, and, and I'll say, oh, yeah, do this, do that, and, you know, do this this way. And what I don't realize is a lot of people just starting out on the hardware side don't have all this tribal knowledge <laughs> you know they don't yeah. have years of experience and so i'll say well why did you do that and then i'm getting the same thing on the other end in the digital side saying why did you do that you know so yeah. it's, a, it's a good lesson for me it you is know, and I, pick I it think, up i think one of the one of the points that it's most important here and I, what i usually come back with when i when i get these kind of um questions or comments is i say hey wait a second this is amateur radio Amateur, yeah, right? Yeah. So, you know, it, I and, and also I, we we were joking before, you know, about how there was, you know, there's amateur science, and I guess what what a lot of us are involved in, certainly I am, is kind of amateur engineering, which is kind of kind of scary when you think about like bridges and buildings, but you know, we're talking about radios here. So, yeah, I mean, a lot of I know that most of the circuits that I'm designing or or building or or cobbling together are kind of would be hopelessly inefficient from the standpoint of professional engineering where you're trying to build with the minimum <clears throat> amount of expense, the minimum power usage. You know, they, like they say, you know, anybody can build something, but, but a good engineer builds it with just the right amount of parts and power. And 
well, this is this is sort of amateur, and, and learning learning is is part of it. And uh, I, I there was a, a comment that you sent me in the one of your emails that I, I thought was really good, and it said, uh, "Don't throw a wet blanket on the baby step process." Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, yeah, and I think one of the things about this is I, I've noticed, and I, I I know this was this may be a little bit controversial. We try to steer away from controversy here, but but sometimes we uh -oh. say things. Uh oh, here we go. So, uh oh, no. uh oh. <laughs> so you know, um, what is it? What is it? The uh, flame retardant uh, suit on here, but right. uh, there seems to me to be in kind of in the in the software computer world um, quite a bit more kind of harshness and in and I think that what what they have there, what the, or what they don't have there, is kind of the um, the fraternal. Elmer tradition of ham radio and I think that's it's it one of the things that we have to kind of try to encourage and protect all of us in in ham radio especially as we move more and more into microcontrollers and microprocessors and software um, which are, are making you know fantastic contributions to to what we call the radio art but at the same time we have to realize that we don't want to necessarily bring in with it the kind of uh, flame the, the newbie or flame the noob attitude that seems to prevail in, in some of those circuits, in some of those areas. So, you know, when you, when you get harsh comments, people coming back saying, oh, wow, you know, you could have done it with six lines of code instead of the 12 you used. Well, I mean, okay, great. Thanks for the pointer and, and I'll, I'll work on it. Interesting idea. But, um, you know, you shouldn't necessarily, you shouldn't, you certainly shouldn't in, in a ham radio world kind of flame somebody or criticize them or call them names uh yeah, this is this our hobby is supposed to be one that, that really encourages people and, and it has this kind of elmer help the new guy along kind of tradition so uh yeah don't don't worry don't worry pete if you use two two or three extra <laughs> lines of code or or yeah. a couple of extra pins on the arduino <laughs> yeah yeah, well, you know, I'm a, I'm of the view there's there's nothing wrong with having a, a mix of both uh, software and hardware. And uh, whereas a lot of the comments I've I've gotten are, well, you know, you could have done this all with menus. I can't remember all the menus, <laughs> you know. Menus, yeah, are, look, yeah, you know, you know how I feel about this. <laughs> menus are for restaurants, okay? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> you're right, you're right. But I mean, you get you get so trapped in these menus, you you can't remember. Whereas um, I have five push-button switches. You push the button, it'll change bands. And, and what I've also done, well, this is kind of interesting. I used three of the pins. I thought this was kind of clever. I, uh, I came up with every time you switch bands, it produces a three-digit code. And then I have a magic decoder ring on, on the end of that that uh, has a, a binary to decimal decoder. It's a CD4028, and then I can control relays. And uh, so one comment I got was, well, use the I squared C. You can do, do all that. Well, wait a minute. <laughs> I don't understand how to do that. I under, understand how to do the three pins. So, <laughs> you, you know, you know the, what works for me. And uh, so, okay, maybe if I need more pins, I'll, I'll figure out how to do this a little more efficiently. But, you, you know, I, I use the example, you can fly from here to Los Angeles, from Los Angeles to New York. And there are many airlines that will get you there. You'll ultimately arrive in New York, some not the most efficient with four or five stops in between, and some are direct flights. Yeah. So, um, you know, we got to be aware of that. And, and I, I certainly have learned a lot. I learned how to do this. I learned how to 
go through the code and figure out how to switch bands. And I thought that was pretty good. But, uh, you know, they say, oh, you know, do it this way. Oh, oh, okay, well, that's good information. Maybe next time when I go through this. So, Yeah, that's, <clears> it does seem to be part of this kind of competitive one-upmanship among the um, people who are involved in, in this kind of technology. I was reminded of this when I was reading um, the the books, the the Innovators by Isaacson that I've been talking about. Great book. And I want to put in a little plug for it. You guys, you guys would love this book. But he talks about how in, when, uh, when, when, when Gates was just a kid, Bill Gates, they used to sit around and they used to have competitions about, and they used to fight with each other about who could do a certain routine in the minimum lines of code. And one would yell, I could do it in six. The other would yell, I could do it in three. <laughs> and they yeah. would fight back and forth, which I guess is, is good. It's good to have that element of competition. But it does seem to be getting carried away here. And also, it, like, like you say, a lot of times we are complete amateurs at this stuff and uh so you know yeah. we could we if, if it takes me 12 lines of code to do it well okay the, yeah you, you know your um you, your friend ben out there sent in a, a nice email on this subject yeah, yeah and he had some lines in there that i thought were really good and he kind of uh he said look you got to be aware that there are some software folks out there who kind of have been conditioned i guess maybe at work to think that efficiency is goal number one. And I guess by efficiency, he means minimum lines of code, minimum usage of pins on a chip. And he points out that that's not necessarily true for those of us who are doing this in the amateur setting, where uh, software for learning versus software for efficiency is an issue. So if you could if you could do something, I mean, I, I could even see a situation where we're doing an Arduino sketch and you could crunch it all down and minimize it and do it in a very efficient way, but the sketch then would be kind of opaque for somebody like me who's trying to understand what's going on in the, in the code. Whereas if you did it in a much less efficient manner and you had it all spelled out, even if step you used one, step many, two, yeah. many additional lines of code and you could see it, oh yeah, there I can see it, you know, uh, that might right. be better. So I think Ben was, was right on target with that one. That, that's an interesting situation with Ben. Ben is a new ham. That's uh, KK6FUT. And uh, so he, he understands the software piece. He, he worked in that for greater part of his life. And uh, it, it's interesting. He'll come in and say, well, did you look at this? And when he's building stuff, he just doesn't have the tribal knowledge. And I'll say, did you look at this? <laughs> you know, so it's complimentary. And it depends where you come from. You yeah, know? yeah, 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 yeah. It, it reminds, like you said, it reminds me very much of the... Uh, conversation that i had with thomas in the bar here in uh, in roslyn virginia with the minima sitting on the table between us and he was expressing his his comfort with the uh, the part of the box that had the uh the uh, the arduino and the si 570 in it and i was looking you know very fondly at the discrete component analog oh yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah so it's 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 the two girl, two worlds the uh you know, digital and analog coming together. It's it's a, it's great. It's a it's a beautiful thing, Pete. Absolutely. But going back to uh, but what? Wait, go ahead. No, you you were going to tell us some more. You got some more stuff to tell us about what's happening in your in your digital world. You're working on on the uh, on the chip that produces the both the BFO and the VFO and right. everything else. So what else going yeah. on? Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, here's the possibility of this. Okay. So. If you can produce uh, both uh, the VFO and BFO signals on one single board, boy, does that make things uh, a lot easier. And matter of fact, up on YouTube, I have a couple of uh, experimental receivers, one on 
40 meters and the other in 20 meters. And, and I'm amazed because the hardware is really, really getting um, kind of minimal uh, to, to produce a, a really high-quality uh, high signal. And uh, the other thing I'm looking at longer term is, is taking some boat anchors and uh, integrating the single chip uh, or the single PLL into there so that you can put a very stable VFO and VFO in there and uh, be able to breathe new life. And uh, I, I think that that's a, a real opportunity is that people have a lot of boat anchors sitting around. Or you can pick up a boat anchor <clears throat> at a garage sale for practically nothing. And uh, so I say, yeah, the VFO drifts, you know, and it's out of whack and I can't do this. Well, yeah, you have some real chance to experiment with the hardware. So that's that's also on the bench right now. I um, Actually, I acquired uh, an old Halicrafters FPM 300, which uh, was built in the 70s. This is a hybrid radio. It was all solid state for this, except for the driver in the final, and it didn't work too well. And you, you hear a lot of comments on that. And uh, I uh, recently had one pass through here, and uh, I kept one of the boards, the IF board, and I'm hoping to turn that into a, a, uh, a transceiver using this uh, SI5351. By the way, let, let me go on to say here, we, we mentioned this before, and I got an email, and uh, s someone said, uh, you know, you're taking credit for this work. I, I am not. I, I want to recognize that uh, Jason, NT7S, who has a blog, and there's a guy by the name of Premzek, um, SQ9JNE, and there are others. Uh, I got a lot of help from uh, uh, Tom Hall, AK2B. So these are the people who are, who are doing a lot of work in this. I, I'm a user. And I don't want to infer that I developed any of the software, although I did in terms of band switching it. I did that. You know? There you go. But I did not do the initial work in writing the library. So please, uh, that individual sent me a blistering email saying, you didn't mention this person. There are people worldwide, and I think that's the important point, is worldwide people are working on this stuff, and, and we as users uh, can benefit from that. So. I'm very, very encouraged by this uh, SI5351, and uh, I, I know the Minima guys are looking at it, although they uh, they started off by saying the phase noise was not going to be uh, very good, and uh, Jason on his blog has published phase noise curves, so I, I think that's been put to rest. So um, lots of things going here. You, you pick up one thing, and the next thing you know, you're looking for all kinds of applications, so kind of an exciting time in our hobby. It is. It is, and I, I, I'm, I, gotta, I was going to... You know, mentioned a couple things here, but the, you, what you just mentioned about sort of uh, you know, digitizing uh, older rigs. You know, you are you are a real pioneer in this. As a matter of fact, your work on the HW101, where you replaced the uh, the, the old dial with yeah. a, a digital readout. You know, are you that that came close to being causing me to cannibalize my <laughs> HW101, but I've I've resisted the temptation and I went with the the Bidex instead. And then your your KWM four, which is I, I always think a, a masterpiece, uh, and uh, and I think you did that with a pick, right? Yes. Yeah. Uh, well, actually, that uses the uh, SI five seventy, and there was a custom controller for that. Actually, I bought that as a as a kit uh, from. Well, it's a bare bones kit. It was a board in the controller, but I I stuffed the board and did everything else. So uh, yeah, that was that's kind of kind of a neat radio. And it, 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 let me. Jump on that point because I got a I got a comment the other day uh, on the KWM4 when I made made the first video and <laughs> I got this guy come back and says your video quality is poor and you talk too much so <laughs> well don't so, uh, lie. So, yeah, your the response should be okay 
don't watch and don't listen. Yeah, yeah well, but the ah, thing is, I, I said, look, I was so excited. I got this thing working. I said, look beyond that. I said, have you ever built anything? <laughs> you know, it was was my question back then. So, uh, yeah, but, uh, you know, interestingly enough, that, uh, that particular radio, I wanted to do something because it could be uh, – uh, this particular controller board can can you can plug a keyboard into it, but I didn't want to plug a keyboard. I wanted just a uh, keypad. And a friend of mine in the UK, <clears throat> uh, he he's done a lot of work with this. He's got a commercial company, and I said, how would you do this? And he actually came back to me and said, this is how you do it. And he his only interest in it was he suddenly thought about an application he could use it for with an FT817. So that KWM4 has a keypad. You can tune that radio. Without touching the knob. I mean, this was two years ago that I built this thing. And so uh, it's got some features in it that, uh, you know, are pretty desirable. So uh, it's not it's not a $10,000 radio, but it's got a lot of nice features in it. And, and it's got a chip in there that costs 4 bucks. So <laughs> there you go. Well, you know, all, all this kind of, all this digital talk and all this discussion of the minimum. By the way, I still have, I have here sitting on the bench... The an SI five seventy chip, uh, an Arduino chip loaded with the Minima software and all the associated parts that Thomas gave me when we were in that bar in Roslyn, Virginia. So that is, I, I leave it there because it's kind of it's kind of reminding me that I've got to build this thing. Uh oh, uh oh. But as a, as an interim measure, as an interim <laughs> measure, one of the things that I did during the last since we last spoke was that I took the um, the Arduino and then uh, AD ninety eight fifty chip combination that produces a nice little VFO. I used the feedback amp that you circuit that you sent me or a, or a variation of it, but it's just a standard feedback amp with a toroidal output transformer to take. So you had a 50 ohms and you're presenting 200 ohms to the, um, to the amplifier. And I, I built that. And then I said, all right, let me just start fooling around. I, I, at first I, I, I inflicted this thing on my old Drake two B and I said, okay, I need 21 megahertz so I could listen to 12 meters. I did that. But then I said, okay, I want to take it a step further. My beloved BitX-17, I love this rig. I love it so much that I'm reluctant to go in there and work on it. But uh, because I'm afraid I'm going to mess something up. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know the feel. Golden screwdriver, golden yeah. screwdriver. Uh, but anyway, the thing is, I, I run this rig with the VXO. I use two crystals for the VXO. And um, so it, I get coverage of most of the 17-meter band, but not all of it most but not all and so there's this little segment of the band like the lower um i would say the lower 10 to 15 kcs of the phone band that everybody are, hangs out right it's lost to me i'm, I'm kind of <laughs> yeah, uh. yeah. so anyway i figured all right let's see what we could do with this uh, vfo so i fired it up i tuned it to 23 23.110 because with a five megahertz if that puts you right at the very bottom of the 17 meter phone band, 18.110. And then I just started sort of seeing where I could put this RF in. I didn't want to do any modifications. I pulled the crystals out, but then I just started seeing, okay, I've got a buffer amplifier in there. The buffer amplifier goes to another amplifier, then, then and that feeds the, uh, the mixer in, in the bit X. And so I just had some clip leads and I just clipped it in there and I was listening to the output of the receiver. And there were various points. I'm looking at the schematic to see, okay, can I put it on the gate of the buffer uh, JFET transistor? 
and see how that works. Or maybe it would be better if I put it at the output, at the source, because you're in a very crude way just sort of doing levels here, because if you put it at the input of one of the amplifiers, you're injecting a certain amount of power into the system, and if you put it at the output, well, you're injecting less. You're also very, in a very crude way playing around with impedance matching because the impedance is different at different points. Right. But again, this was just, just sort of cut and try with a clip lead, bing, bing, bing. And finally, I found the point where the receiver sounded just right. It sounded just like it did when I had the crystal in there. So I left it there. And then I put the little Arduino VFO off to the side. And instead of spinning the dial and, uh, and uh, kind of wiggling the, the frequencies of my two beloved 23 megahertz crystals from Jan Crystals, now I'm turning the rotary controller and I'm doing all the dig digital magic with the Arduino <clears throat> and the DDS 9850 and all that. And you know what? It works like a charm. It's really beautiful. I could set it. I set it so it was tuned in at 100 hertz increments. And I went through and I worked all kinds of stations. It was great fun. And I had it there, and it, I, I like look the look of the glowing numerals and everything else. So I, I had it in my my kind of homebrew initial <laughs> BitX Arduino uh, DDS uh, BitX experience, and it was great fun. Uh, absolutely, and the the thing is, is you you see that, and you look at the, the 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 footprint of the circuit, especially if you use something small like a Nano or a Pro Mini. I mean. That's really small to do so much. <laughs> scary, you know. That's scary small, Pete. I got to tell yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In, in one of your latest videos, you have the Nano <laughs> and next to the eight, the 9850, the, the the famous you know six dollar chip that we've all been using from China, and the yeah. Nano looks like it's about the same size. So the whole thing yeah. looks like about the size of like three fingers, right? And yeah. then and then later in the video, I remember you come out and you show you know uh, uh, an, a typical Arduino Uno or R3 board. And you had added to it some like um, a terminal strips so that you could work on it a lot without breaking it. And the thing looked huge. I mean, it looked like yeah, <laughs> it looked like you looked like you had suddenly pulled out like a DX40 or something like that. It's like wow, holy cow! <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I like the big one. I don't know. I think I'm going to stick with the uh, with the R3 for a while. <clears throat> but anyway, that was my uh, kind of digital adventure, and it it worked great. And but I've taken it out because I. I just you know you know how it is like I kind of like the crystals and I could live without the the lower ten or fifteen kcs and so anyway I've been on and uh, having great fun with with seventeen meters using the big amplifier and everything else but first I got to talk about what's been on my bench and now we're moving back completely into the world of analog digital simple real simple stuff because I've been telling you that we're um, you know we're as uh, as we slide into into winter here and it gets colder. Um, we just we just don't deal too well with the cold. We're uh, we're we're more we're we're more of a tropical family. My wife is from the Caribbean. Uh, we lived in beautiful sunny Rome, Italy, and uh, you know it, it starts getting cold up here, and we got to head south. So sometime next month we're going to be going uh, back to the Dominican Republic as we do from time to time. And I'm working on the rig that I'm going going to bring with me, and inspired by Peter Parker down there in Australia, VK3YE, with his uh, Beach 40 DSB rig. I thought about it, and I consulted with you several times about what rig I should bring and what should I do, and I'm going with double sideband. I'm going back with double sideband. And I pulled out this double sideband rig. It's uh, I've, I've done several YouTube videos on it. It's been on the podcast. It's been on the blog. People are probably sick of looking at it. 
I built it when we were out in the Azores, and I built it, I think I built it originally for 20 meters, then I changed it to 17 meters, then I changed it back to 20 meters, back to 20 meters now. It's a real simple little rig. It's a direct conversion receiver on one side and a double sideband transmitter on the other. The only common stage is a little oscillator stage there in the middle. One of the unique features of this rig, or one of the special features, is that it's run by two ceramic resonators at around 14.2 megahertz. And I wrote this up for Spratt. It's the only article I ever put in our beloved Spratt magazine. But um, it, what, the, the unusual feature of it is that the two ceramic resonators are on exactly the same frequency. But I found that if you, if, you, if you ran one, you had one frequency range. And then if you put the other one in parallel with it, it shifted the frequency range up, I think, by 10, 20 kcs. So you ended up getting a lot more spread. So I have a switch there, and in one position it's just one of them, and in the other position it's two. And I'm able to cover from 14.266 all the way up to um, 14.322 megahertz. Um, the other unusual feature of this rig is, and this, 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 this is going to become as a surprise to people because it goes completely against all of my most fundamental, fundamentalist principles, and that is that it, it's almost entirely made up of integrated circuit chips. Ooh, I know, ooh, I know. It's, ooh, I know. Bill, it's just, Bill. I, hey, look, I, I, was, I was young. You make mistakes, you know. It, 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 it happens. Uh, so, and, and, and I think I, I can blame Spratt on this because there was an article that caught my eye way back when. And I, I, I'm sorry, but I forget the name of the author. But he built a direct conversion receiver almost entirely out of NE602 chips. He used the NE602 as the, as the front-end amplifier, the RF amplifier. Then he used the NE602 in its conventional um, mixer mode as the, as, the, as, the, as the mixer for the direct conversion receiver. Then he used another NE602, and this is unusual, as the, audio, as the first audio amplifier. So now you've got three NE602s in here. And then finally, finally, for the final amplifier, he, he goes away from the NE602 and he uses a standard LM386 for the audio out. So that's the, uh, the receive side. On the output side, I have an LM386 as the mic amp. The microphone is the old microphone from my Sony Walkman. Can you believe it? Actually, from, Ooh, from my yeah. the Sony Walkman that I had when Sony Walkmans were cool, I still have it. I still have the microphone. And so that plugs into the little jack on the front of the thing. goes to the LM386. Then it goes to an NE602 as the balance modulator. And then from there, that's where all the trouble started. And I know, you know, I mentioned to you, Pete, that, that people, our listeners, seem to take great joy in hearing about my stupid moves in electronics. I don't know. They just they find it really humorous. They they some of them are still laughing from the time that I I soldered the chip for the frequency counter in upside down, and then had to take it out and put it back in. That was that that was a cause of of great great happiness in in many parts of the world. But um, I have a similar story to tell now about this rig, because I I I've been I was I put a JBot amplifier in there, Farhan's JBot. This is like the fourth JBot that I built. I love this amplifier. It's simple. It's almost bulletproof. It hardly ever oscillates. It's, it's, it's everything that you want in a little 5-watt amplifier. It uses cheap transistors. The heat sink arrangement is beautiful. 
It uses six transistors, two kind of the, to the drive it, and then four is the actual amplifier. It's push-pull. It's, it's great. You could use all kinds of different components for the transformers. I love the JBot. All the others I built, no problem. I built this one, and I couldn't get it stable. It kept, it kept taking off on me. The output looked horrible. I knew the output was horrible because I would look at my SWR meter on my perfectly matched dipole, and I would be getting an SWR of four to one, you know, which means that there's other frequencies in there. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, all this, yeah, and it just sounded awful. It, it was unstable. So I went through a whole round of trying to figure out what was wrong, and I, for a while there, I, I thought I cured it by putting a, some swamping resistors in there. You and I talked about this. Band-Aids. Yeah, yeah. And I thought that worked, but yeah, it worked. But, but really it worked because it knocked the power output down to about one watt, right? It's supposed to be five. So some, you know, that's not really fixing it. Yeah, sure, I could get it stable at one watt. The problem is as soon as I went beyond two watts, it was unstable. So there's something wrong in there. So I worked on it, I worked on it, I worked on it. Finally, I just said, as we'd say in Italian, basta. 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 Yeah, there you go. Basta with a B, not with a P. Yeah, basta. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Enough. And I said, it works. Good. No. No, no, not enough. It works. I'm getting it out of there. It's yeah, not working. Yeah, I'm yeah. going to do something different. <laughs> Boom. So yeah. I, I go in there and I pull I'm out. I, I, I extracted the J-Bot. Boom. Now, I did it carefully. I didn't wreck the components because the transistors are all probably still good. The heat sinks are good. Transformers are good. But together, collectively, they're evil. All right. And they've got to be <laughs> dealt with. So I pull them all out. I have a little Altoids tin there and I throw them in there. It's like a little electronic coffin. Ha! Putting them in there. Boom, boom, boom. Seal them up. Put them away. You know, sprinkle holy water on them. Do a little bit of exorcism. Sacrifice a couple of chickens to Papa Legba. Boom, they're gone. So now I'm going to go with an RF amplifier chain that is even better, even nicer, that has given me even less trouble than the J-Bot. Do you know what it is? You know what the cha what, what, what chain I'm talking about? The IRF510? The, the IRF510 from Farhan's Bidex. Yeah. I love this little, I, this little RF arrangement. It's got one uh, 2N3NO4 or 2N2222 as kind of the pre-driver. Then it's got a more robust transistor, I think a 2N2218 as the driver, one of those circular metal cans, and then it goes to the IRF510. There's a couple of transformers in there. There's a couple of little kind of feedback networks, but... Beautiful, no problem at all. So I build this thing. I build it on a little board, I guess about maybe, you know, two inches by three inches. It's going to fit right in into the rig where the, uh, the J-Bot was. Everything is sized up right. So I build the thing. I, I check it out. I hook up a signal generator. It's clean. There's no oscillation. I hook it up to an antenna. It works well with the antenna. Everything is fine. It's great. I put it into the rig. And I get exactly the same feedback problem that I had with the J-Bot. Huh? Huh? Something else. Huh? I mean, what? You know, it's, it's, it's there. So then I start thinking, this is crazy. I mean, it's looking exactly, it's the same squiggly lines on the oscilloscope, the same 4 to 1 SWR, but these are two completely different circuits. Both of which have worked perfectly in other rigs. And both of which have worked okay when they're not in the box, which is a clue, right? 
Right. What's the clue? <clears throat> the box. The box. Oh, man. So then I started looking at it. And I, okay, so I, I'm going to, I take the, the new, I take the new amplifier chain out of the box. And again, I set it up. I hook up the antenna to a little connector. Now it's separated from the box. Again, it's perfect. It's beautiful. So then I start scrutinizing the box. Now what's happened, I think, is that over the years, this box has gone through so many different evolutions. The box is made up of little PC board material pieces. And they're all kind of cobbled together. It's a real, it's like radio architecture, radio archaeology. You know, yeah, you've got to go dig, yeah. dig down deeper layers. And I think I might have had some ground loops in there. I think that the antenna connector, the BNC connector that was on there, didn't have a real good connection to the real ground plane of the amplifier. So That'll that do it. on the ground side, electrically, instead of looking like a direct connection between the, you know, the ground portion of the final amplifier stage, there was probably a, what looked to the circuit like a lot of inductance and capacitance and reactance in there. And it was presenting a very complex impedance situation to that amplifier instead of presenting the 50 ohms resistive that the thing was designed for. And that's what was driving it inst into instability. So I put it back in the box and then I sort of worked on the box and make sure that a, there was a good ground connection. I again hooked it all up. Everything, was, everything looked like it was much more solidly grounded. And ecolo, that was it. Voila. Oh, yeah. It works. So um, anyway, that was my, uh, my adventure, you know, and then, and then the timing was perfect, uh, Pete, because as soon as I got this thing done, I, it set up for 20 meters and I realized that it was right on the, uh, the verge of the, of the ARRL sweepstakes. Ooh. Uh, yeah. You know, which, you know, you know how into, into contests I am, how much. Oh yeah. It's, Big it's contest really... guy. Yeah. <laughs> Five nine, Northern Virginia. Uh, yeah, there you go. Yeah, <laughs> forty-eight hours straight. Yeah, that's great. No, no, not really. But I did. I, you know, because I wanted to check out the rig, I, I jumped into the contest. And as I told you, it, it's amazing. <laughs> I won. Yeah, congratulations, <laughs> I mean, Bill. I'm wait, yeah, I'm waiting for the trophy. I think they're going to send it by FedEx. I, you know, <laughs> and I, I did a video on it about how I won the sweepstakes. And um, but I, 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 you know. It was my, my special category, you know. It's the same category I was in last year, probably the year before. It's that it's a really, really special category. You know, QRP, homebrew, double sideband, Northern Virginia. There you go. There I'm, you go. I'm number one. Yeah. Are, are you the only one? <laughs> <laughs> That's a very indelicate question, Mr. Yeah, Giuliano. Yeah, I mean, yeah. we, we don't want to get into that. Yeah. But anyway, this thing is all set up, and it's getting ready for the beach. And I'm going to take it with me with... Um, Volkswagen solar panels that I've been telling everybody about over the years. I have these two Volkswagen solar panels, and I'm going to take those along, and we're going to run, uh, and I'll probably probably bring along a small 20-meter dipole. So we will be on the beach uh, from the Dominican Republic, solar-powered, double sideband, 20 meters, sometime during the month of December. I refuse to operate like a de-expedition, <laughs> but oh, uh, we'll be down there. Uh, we'll be operating, so it should be fun. Bill, I wanted to uh, jump in here and and make two comments about your your just your last several comments, and and one is um, I always mention that I have two piles of equipment. I have a very large pile that sort of worked, sort of worked once, never worked, <laughs> don't work too well, and I have a very small pile 
of stuff that really works well. So it, it's not like every time you, you take a foray out and to try to build some stuff, you know, it's going to work the first time or you're, you're, you know, you're somewhat disappointed when you get all done. And, and I think the, the important thing is, you know, it's experimentation and learning. Uh, I mean, you learn from these things. Like, for instance, I just listened to you talk. Next time you build a rig, you're going to make sure the antenna connector <laughs> is solidly connected no, to no, ground. I'll, and, and, I'll probably forget all about it. And the other thing, too, is, is, uh, is to have a little process in your mind that that you go through and i frequently mention um in, in stuff that i've written about you know checking something out uh, i always say okay you're going to test this and let's go through the process before you apply power you know look for uh splashed solder that's uh, shorting something out uh, look for miswiring look for the, the right components or wrong components in the right place and kind of go through this uh initially before you even power it on and, and it it also enables you to kind of track things down. And just recently, uh, we have this series uh, that's called Let's Build Something. And this uh, this is going to be a publication in QRP Quarterly. Matter of fact, we submitted the draft uh, just yesterday. And uh, I, I actually built three audio amplifiers uh, because I wanted to test them out. We've made some modifications. And uh, the final one is kind of souped up. Uh, that... that, that quasi-complementary amplifier can really put out a lot of juice, uh, especially if you do some things. But the third one I built, which is going to be for the article because it's going to look nice, <laughs> it didn't work. And I said, come on now. This is the third one. <laughs> you know, the other two worked perfect. This did not work. And it just, I, I get a little <laughs> bit of an output, and it just drove me nuts. So I said, okay, let's go through the process. Do I have slaughter solder splashes? Do I have miswiring? Let's look at the components, and when I looked, I found out instead of having a 2N3904 in there, I had a 2N3906. Oh, listen, I, Pete, let me stop, <laughs> stop, stop, wait. I appreciate you, you saying this, but I know you're making this up. You're just doing this no, to make me feel no. better. You are. No, you no, do this that. is true. This is true, yeah. And what happened was I have bins of transistors, 2N3904s and 3906, and I can remember one day the 3906s been dropped on the ground, and I picked them all up. <laughs> and I must have put one of the 3906s in the 3904, and I just pulled it out of the bin because I said, everything in here is a 2N3904. Well, guess what? It wasn't. Yeah. And yeah. so I replaced it, and it worked. So, But I have this little process that I went through to say, is it a solder splash? Is it a short? You know, is it miswired? And then I finally came do you have the right components in there? And I got to be honest with you, Bill. I got to use those headband magnifiers. Oh, I do <laughs> to too. Look at, I got <laughs> to too. look at those part numbers because yeah. you can't you can't read them with a naked eye. And I just yeah. picked it up and said, "Oh yeah, two and thirty nine oh four, and I plugged it in there, and it wasn't. No, no. This reminds me when I was doing I, I when I when I first built the Bidex, I couldn't get it, it was just terrible. It wasn't wasn't working at all. And I realized that I had a whole bunch of uh, PN two N twenty two twenty two transistors in there. And I had never worked with this particular batch, and I had treated them as just standard 2N2222s. And, you know, the 2N2222, it's the standard emitter base collector. You look at it yeah. with the flat end at you, and the left one is the emitter, the center one's the base, the right one is the collector. And guess what? The, pin out, the pin out on this batch wasn't like that. And you know what? The transistors don't work at very good at all if you put them in backwards <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> the gain is like way down <laughs> yeah. 
So, so I mean, it, it happens to everyone. It's even like uh, Massimo Banzi. Uh, when he was writing his Arduino book, he says, you know, even I forget to put a comma <laughs> at the oh, end man. of the line. I even I, you know, it's right in his book, even I. So it's just a, a matter. But, of course, in the Arduino, it'll tell you, hey, you, you missed a comma here. I mean, that's the nice part. Yeah, your bit uh, is not going to come back and tell you that. No, 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 no. It's not, but, <laughs> not, but Not in so many words. But, <laughs> but I do want to stress having a little troubleshooting process. Yeah. And to go through those steps, uh, you, you know, can help reduce the time. And, and just starting pulling out parts oh. uh, sometimes is not the right no. answer. Just patience. Just look pa- at what you got. Yeah, look Patience what you got. is a virtue, you know, and, and you really do. This is a matter. Yeah. I think this is the kind of thing that comes with experience, and it's harder for, for guys who are newer to home brewing to do this. But when you find yourself getting frantic and just pulling your hair out and getting that kind of obsessed, kind of crazed look in your eye, the thing to do is to turn it off. Yeah. Take a take walk, a ride the bike, walk the dog, do something, do something else and come back at it tomorrow. You know, in the book, uh, Isaacson's book, The Innovators, time and again, you, you he, he recounts stories of people who are kind of on the verge of a big discovery or a big technological breakthrough. And they were stuck and they went and they rode their bike or they, they took a walk or something and then it just came to them or they went just went to sleep and they woke up in the morning and they sat there and said, that's it. And they got it and down they went and they fixed it. So that's real, real important. But, you know, Pete, this brings us now to another source, a much more insidious source of problems for the home brewer. And this is something you and I have been talking about. You mentioned uh, uh, Maximo forgetting to put the comma in. And that reminds me about, and I, and he, and I know he was just talking about it in terms of his own programming, but you know, one of the one of the things that causes folks a lot of trouble when they're home brewing is that they follow the instructions in the magazine. Uh, uh, now this is now this is gonna like I, I, I warn the newcomers here. Just you know, like they say. Some of some people may find this material disturbing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, because we've all been taught that if it's printed in a book or a magazine, right, it must be right. Yes. right? Yeah, it, you know, it's, it's that's, on the internet. That's, it's got to be well, right. Well, even the book, yeah. the, the paper, seems to have more authority. You know, we're all suspicious yeah, yeah, about the right. internet. But if it, you know, if it's in a book, a handbook, right, a handbook. Yeah. Yeah. Or if it's in, in a magazine, a reputable magazine that has laboratories and stuff like that attached to it, then the schematic, you, you assume, has to be right. And you and I have found out, and others have been commenting on this recently, that it ain't necessarily so. Is that right? Ab- absolutely. Absolutely. I, I shared with Bill a story that uh, I saw in this publication, um, this wonderful amplifier that uh, used a uh, 3CX800A7, big tube, expensive tube. And uh, at the time, my daughter was working in FM broadcasting. So I said, hey, go make yourself known to the station engineer and see if you can get some pulls. And the next thing you know, about four days later, I have a 3CX800A7 sitting on my lap. So I said, oh, yeah, you know, here I am. So I, I uh, grabbed the article and I started building. And that's when I started looking at the article. And I said, you know, there's something wrong here. Uh, there are not wires that are connected, and uh, there are parts values that, that are just don't make sense. And so uh, 
I contacted the author, and uh, he shared with me uh, his notes. And his notes were not the same thing that was in the article. And uh, he shared with me that he didn't get a chance to see the final proof of the article and just got published. So his his notes, I I was able to build it with his notes, and it worked perfect. But it just, some of those things, this is where noodling and, and getting, you know, understanding what's, before you take up the iron, Look at the parts of the circuit and say, "Is this right? Does this make sense?" And I'm no, sure you've seen that. No, yeah, absolutely. And and you know, and sometimes, sometimes it'll be an error, or sometimes the author, because the author is usually so kind of advanced, will fail to mention a very important element of the construction project. So I mean, this is the trouble that I ran into when I was building the the Herring Aid Five direct conversion receiver back in 1976. It wasn't that there was an error in the schematic. It's just that when they when they talked about putting an additional winding over the Radio Shack RF choke, that would be the feedback winding for the oscillator in the direct conversion receiver, a really <clears throat> critical move. They didn't say anything about the direction that you should wind it. So Amazing. I, so I rose I wound it the wrong way. I mean, they might have thought that they address this adequately with the two phasing dots right but right. i was i was thinking only in terms of top of one coil to the top of the other coil or top of one coil to the bottom and i wasn't thinking at all about the direction the sense that you were winding this coil and so that was the showstopper for me again it, you could say well it wasn't an error but you know one line of additional information especially in an article for a beginner could have saved the day and prevented a 36-year delay in the completion of that project. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you, you know, it's interesting you should say that because uh, in that uh, video that I just made about using the Arduino, uh, there's a, uh, I, I was using a schematic that's actually going to appear in the article, and I, I keep saying use digital pins 4, 5, 6, 7, 11, and 12. And then there's a big note in there saying the digital pins are not the same thing as the IC pins because someone's going to count down one, two, three, four and said, oh, that's it. That's not that's not digital pin four. So, you know, there's you, you got to realize people are starting with different skill levels. And if, if you told me digital pin four, I, I know exactly where to look. But yeah. if I didn't know that, I'd count down the fourth pin, say connect it there. And it's not digital pin four. Yeah, yeah. This is and as you, what you said. Going back to the analog world, what, and this is especially important there, I mean, when you, what you said about the benefit of really understanding the circuit oh, that you're yeah. working on. And, th- and, you know, this is not always possible because all of us, especially when we're starting out, are to a certain extent kind of flying blind. And you're, you're building this thing and there may be elements of the circuits or subcomponents of the circuit that you don't really understand but you're going to build them anyway. Even Doug DeMoore, in one of, his, one of his books, admitted, and I thought this was really big of him, that sometimes he built things that, that he didn't understand the circuit. He didn't understand how it was working. But it, it, it's a real benefit if you understand the circuit because then you could do what you did with that big amplifier tube and say, wait a second. How, you, know, you could ask yourself questions like, how is this transistor going to be biased if there's no resistor to ground or there's no resistor to the power supply, it's supposed to be running in class A, but the, the you know the the base is with is at zero volts, so there's just no way that it's going to run. If you under, if they have that level of understanding, um, so I think that's one of the ways to to be on the lookout for 
to be less vulnerable to mistakes in the article or mistakes in the schematic. Oh, think, yeah, absolutely. I, I think one of the big things, though, is just not to be so completely trusting about the article. If you build something and, you've, and you're convinced that you've built it exactly the way the schematic says it should be built and it doesn't work, you know, you should have at least in, somewhere in the back of your mind that, hey, you may be dealing with a problem with the schematic. And, you know, one of the ways to resolve that these days is the Internet. I mean, you could go out and you can go on to QRPL or QRP Tech or any of the other, other forums that are out there and then just say, hey, guys, I had this problem. Has anybody seen this? And, you know, they'll come back and they'll help you because there, there's a really good possibility that, that there is somebody else who struggled with it. Oh, absolutely. And, and sometimes you, as a result of studying the schematics, you, you really learn something. And uh, I wanted to share something that I learned here recently. And it, 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 it blew my mind because initially it seemed like this wasn't right. Uh, I, I like getting a lot of the old boat anchors and trying to get them work. And I have uh, I, I've acquired recently a couple of Drake TR4s. Uh, I've always had a warm spot in my heart. I, I actually had a brand new Drake TR4 back in the early 70s. And I really like that rig. So uh, these were kind of tech special basket cases. And I was having a problem with uh, with one of the circuits uh, dealing with the AGC. And so I, I put my voltmeter on the plate of this tube and it read zero volts. And I said, aha, that's the problem. That's the problem. And then I looked at the schematic and I said, there is no plate voltage. There, there is no plate connection here. And what I didn't realize is they were taking the bias, a minus 60 volts, and running it on the cathode. So you can either put plus voltage on the plate <laughs> or minus voltage on the cathode. So the plate was grounded, but it just, you know, it caused me to think about that saying, well, why do I have zero volts in here? Well, because they are feeding the bias voltage into the cathode and not plus voltage into the plate. So sometimes you say, oh, well, I never thought you could do that, but you can. So, I mean, Studying the schematic, if I had just taken a you know, voltmeter reading on the plate and said, well, it's zero volts, that's the problem, replace the tube. Well, I put another tube in there, same problem. Well, yeah. it was something else. So, Yeah. The other thing, you know, we, we, this is something that we've talked about a lot, but it's worth repeating here. because In the context of this possible problem with the schematic, this is where it really makes sense to do the stage-by-stage -stage approach. Oh, yeah. Because if you, you know, if you've built that, and, he, and I, I really like your idea about starting from the back and working forward, especially on a receiver. Build that AF amplifier first. Yes. You build that amp, AF amplifier stage, and then you test it. And so if it's, if it's amplifying, if when you put your finger at the input, you hear a hum coming out, well, okay, you got the AF amplifier work, then you move on. So that if you do run into these one of these <clears throat> inexplicable problems that may be the result of a problem in the schematic, at least you know what stage you're dealing with. You know, when I when I was yeah. struggling with that LM386, when I was struggling with the Herring 85 back in 1976, you know, I did not take that approach. I just viewed this thing as like one big blob of electronics. I, I actually etched the board. I put all the components on it. Then I turned it on, and when it didn't work, I, I was stymied. I didn't, I didn't know what to do. I mean, I didn't, I didn't know. I didn't have a systematic way of looking at it. And I know I didn't. I, I didn't even really know. Okay, is the AF amplifier working? Is the RF amplifier working? 
And if I had just, if I had had that kind of circuit by circuit approach, I could have very easily determined that that oscillator wasn't oscillating. Right. And then you, that you would have narrowed it down. Yeah, yeah, I know. Well, you live and learn, but it took a long time. My, my friend, friend uh, Ben, KK6FUT, has an interesting, dis- describes this in an interesting way. He calls it solder and smoke. You saw it all together and then watch it smoke. <laughs> oh, man, he's, he's, he's letting the smoke out. You can't let the smoke out. The secret and and smoke. so, uh, you know, he, he's... He's a relatively new ham, but he's you know he's very experienced. And and he said the the module approach has helped him so much because a uh, he's learning things as he goes along, and then progressively by starting at the back end, each piece then becomes a part of your test system. You know, once you got the audio amp work, if you put a product detector in there and a BFO, you got that working. Then you say, hey, this is now. Then you can put the IF stage and get that. You know, go all along. There's if you built the test oscillator that we talked about here several podcasts ago, that becomes an invaluable piece of test equipment as you're going through here. I mean, that can be the signal source for the product detector and then uh, through the IF amplifier and what have you. But it's, it, it's having a process instead of just soldering everything together and hope it's going to work. If you do it in a measured manner, you'll, you'll learn as you go along and you'll be very successful. I mean, you'll have more on the pile of radios that work <laughs> than those that sort of work. Yeah. No, no, good, good advice, and uh, yeah. So uh, just, uh, you know, the keep, keep, keep an eye, keep your eyes open for the possibility of an error, either an error inserted by by the by the designer, or a lot of times the builder. By, by, well, no, no, the builder too, yeah, but also the the editors, the the people who are actually public publicizing the schematic. Even when anytime you you transfer a schematic or redraw it, you could leave stuff out. Or change yeah. the values. So, and that's actually happened to me. Yes. Yeah, no. I, I, I me, know me that too. happens. Me too. You know, and a guy, one guy who's been talking about this a lot. I think I mentioned Chuck Adams. He's got some great stuff. He's on the QRP tech list, and Chuck has done some great projects and uh, a real a real resource. He's recently put out a whole bunch of of uh, YouTube videos, so you should just take a look. I'll try to get a link up to it up on the blog, but they're really good. He uses this Muppet board technique, but he has been commenting. Exactly what you and I, exactly what you and I are talking about, and that is how the um, the schematics can have have mistakes, and you've got to be alert to them. So, be careful out there. There's a lot of pitfalls. Yeah, you know the the other thing too, and uh, something uh, from from an author standpoint. Uh, sometimes I'll create uh, several iterations of drawings, and when I submit the drawings. Sometimes I forget to send the latest one, <laughs> and and then the latest one is right, and, and and the earlier one is not right, or the early one doesn't work as well as the later <laughs> one. So I I really now kind of before I submit all the drawings, I really make sure I got the right, the latest one and the correct one. So that's something that's incumbent upon the uh, the authors to make sure that what they submit is correct too. Yep. All right. Hey Pete, we're at the fifty-four minute point here. Oh. But you know what that means? It's time for what you reminded me of last time, the Shameless, shameless Commerce com- Division. And can I comment here? I've got some Shameless Commerce items in my hand, including a solder smoke ball. You can't see this. Solder smoke ball cap and the cup. He's got, yeah. This 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 is makes Pete official, officially and permanently <laughs> a part of the team. He's got the hat and the cup. He's got to stick with us. 
So uh, you, they look, you look looks quite snappy there too. I, I might say we, we, we keep my might... head keep my head warm. I'm in the garage. <laughs> yeah, and it's you're, cold you're, here. you're in California. How cold? Yeah, but it's be? cold it's, here. It's this morning. It's yeah, it's cold. It's it's 65 degrees. Ooh, yeah. it's cold. Yeah, come on over here. We'll show you cold. Hey, um, but no, the shameless commerce division. You know, I, I, we have to mention here too the passing of one of the one of the car talk guys. That was that was sad. Yeah. He was he was a real inspiration and. Uh, what a great, great, funny guy! Click and clack the Tappet Brothers, but they'll, you know, we'll be listening to their reruns for a long time, and uh, they, they are the ones who gave us the Shameless Commerce Division, and you know, the the law firm of Dewey Cheatham and Howe and all this other oh, yeah. stuff. You know, yeah, it's great, great. You know, <laughs> these are the lawyers that we use too. You know. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, the, I, I, there's only a couple things I want to mention in the Shameless Commerce Division this week. First, as I said last time, it's Christmas is coming, so you, people are going to be buying a lot of stuff. When you think Amazon, think solder smoke. <laughs> Just go to the solder smoke blog. There's a little block up in the upper right, and do whatever you're searching for. If you search there, cha-ching, the suits at Amazon send us money, and it doesn't come out of your pocket at all. So it's great. It's like it's money from from Bezos or whatever his name is. He sends us money, and we use it to buy radio stuff and projects and you know. Support the solder smoke blog. That's sure. it. Yeah. That's it. You know, yeah, it, you know, our, our, we have we have enormous. You know, the budget is enormous. It's like you know, hundreds of dollars a year. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> camera equipment, so you make yeah. videos. Oh, and audio stuff. equipment, yeah. so we can record so it. All, it. it. Sure. It all costs, it all costs money. Got to keep things yeah. going here. The other thing is, I want to mention the the solder smoke book. Um, the people are still still interested in it, and I recently put it up on Amazon in print version. It's been on Amazon in Kindle version. For a long time, but now it's listed again on Amazon in print. So if you want to make a suggestion for a stocking stuffer, or you want to get a, a present for somebody, uh, check that out. And then finally, the the other book I want to mention is the latest book. It's the one that is more about our our travels in Europe. Very little about radio in there, but some of you guys like the travelogue stuff. It's called Us and Them uh, by me, and uh, it's available in Kindle. It's available on Amazon, and it's available from from Olulu, our traditional supplier. So uh, check it out. But again, the most important message here this week is if you think Amazon, think solder smoke. Yep. That's the end of the Shameless Commerce Division. Uh, Pete, what else should we talk about? Well, uh, you know, I, I wanted to mention there seems to be a lot of interest in the videos I put up, and I'm most encouraged uh, by the number of um, pieces of mail that you've received, the uh, blog has received, and I've received that people are really interested in homebrewing. And uh, but but the, the the point is, some of the stuff that that initially people are taking on, it's so overwhelming, and and they're hungry to start with something small, uh, you know, like a direct conversion receiver or the Michigan Mighty Might. I think Bill, how how many crystals have you mailed out? So oh, glad far? you mentioned that. It's kind of disappointing. Only four. We've only wow. had four, and I don't think I don't think a single oscillation has resulted yet. Every day I come into the shack in the morning and I go to the mailbox hoping to see a report <laughs> of an actually oscillating Michigan Mighty Might someplace out there. But so far, nothing. Well, let me re- I'm going to repeat the offer. I still have the bag of crystals, and I'm going to make it even easier on you guys. All you have to do is email me your address and I will stick one of these crystals in the mailbox and then you will have no excuse. Uh, there you go. And so, you go. 
So come on, let's build some Michigan Mighty Mites, and I'll the crystals are free, free crystals. Just and you don't even have to you don't even have to send me a self addressed stamped envelope. Just email me your mailing address, and the United States Postal Service or your local equivalent will deliver it. I can't overseas delivery might be kind of tough, but you guys know if you send me an address overseas and you know it works, I'll I'll send it to you there too. Uh, yeah, there you go. There, there you, you go. go. What an offer. What an offer. By the way, uh, up on the blog, you had a picture of Ben's tube transmitter. Oh, man. Cigar box. beautiful? But what, yeah, yeah. I got to point out something. I said that was a Cuban cigar box, and I don't want to get poor Ben in trouble with the authorities. <laughs> because if you look down at the bottom of the box, it says, handmade in Honduras. There you go. So there you go. They're, they're Cuban seeds. <laughs> they're, they're Cuban cigars, but they're grown and manufactured. In in, in, ha- in the Honduras. Honduras, where I yeah, that's to, a, it's illegal to have Cuban cigars, I guess. Well, it is, it is, but <laughs> but if they're made in Honduras, it's okay. Yeah, so it's okay. But but that's that's kind of a two version of the Michigan Mighty Might, and that's on thirty five seventy nine. There you go, and this this ties in with our covert support for the Color Burst Liberation Army. This is something that yeah. Steve Smith out there, your fellow Californian, has uh, has launched. And it's called the Color Burst Liberation Army, and it's an effort to, by I think by completely honorable homebrew means, to take back control of that magic waterhole frequency of 3579. Uh, that those are that's the frequency of all the crystals that we have. And so, yeah, that, I think uh, Ben has made a good move in that direction, and uh, you know we're we're looking forward to some more emails so that we can get some more of these rigs going. Yeah, the funny thing was I, I was trying to – Ben only lives maybe less than a mile from me and, or maybe a little more than a mile. Anyway, I was trying to listen for his 3579, and all I could hear was the TV sets. Yeah, <laughs> in the neighborhood. The color <laughs> in the yeah. neighborhood, yeah. <laughs> They're right there. <laughs> well, you know, 3579 was the uh, – Doug Dumore, the first real superhead receiver I made, the, the bare-bone superhead, he made he used those color burst crystals as the as the – it's the crystal filter for the ladder yeah. filter, and that was yeah. the IF. And you know, you know, I, I always tell the story that there's all kinds of trouble there because there's W1AW's code practice right on that frequency. So I would get that; they would skip right over right into the IF. And then also, then I was get, I was getting these kind of um, really kind of holy roller uh, preachers there. So I felt like I was getting it. You know, I was being I was getting all kinds of grief from this yeah. new receiver. They were, you know, there was there were there was fire and brimstone on certain moments and then w1aw be mocking my my cw skills you know by sending me 35 words a minute code practice <laughs> <laughs> there you go. There. anyway um all right so yeah let's let's get some go going on the michigan mighty mites and and pete's right start slow don't you know don't think that you're going to build uh you know a bidex or a minima uh first time out i mean thomas did it but but he's he's really unusually extraordinarily talented I think those of us who are, you know, mere mortals in this area really can't aspire to that. But uh, start out slow, a Michigan Mighty Might, and then let's build something, the direct conversion receiver. I mean, a direct conversion receiver like you guys are, are presenting on Let Build Something, that is enormously gratifying. When you get one oh, of those yeah. things going and you've built it and you're listening and you're, you know, it's, it's really useful and you're really, you really hear the, the signals very, very clearly. You hear those voices there on 40 meters. Man, that is a real that is a real thrill. So go for that. 
Yeah, I got to tell you, I was amazed. I, I've not built too many direct conversion receivers, and I'm saying, boy, I missed I missed something along the path. I, I should have I should have built one of these uh, a long, long time ago. Yeah. Wes Hayward, hey. Wes Hayward, W7ZOI, was the one who started the direct conversion revolution. <clears throat> I have his article here. It's 1968 QST, and it's called direct conversion, a, a neglected technique. Yeah, and yeah. neglected no more, thanks to Wes. So three cheers yeah. for Wes Hayward on, on that and on so many other things. Hey, I wanted to mention my uh, my QRO adventures here, Pete. You know, I've gone QRO. Oh, yeah, yeah. I admit it. You know, I, I have turned myself into the GQRP authorities. Um, it's uh, it's pretty shameless, but I am, you know, operating with 120 watts on 17 meters with good effect. And it's it's amazing. I, 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 I'm, I, I worked two stations in Japan in the last week and both of them come back and say, man, you're booming in here. You're, you know, you're 20 over S9 oh, in Tokyo. Wow. And so, uh, great fun. There's a time for QRO and as conditions worsen, uh, you know, well, I, I've received special, uh, absolution from, uh, the Reverend George Dobbs. So I, I think I'm, I think I'm good. Yeah. But the, the really important thing is you've got a 120 watt station. That's essentially all homebrew. I know, I know. It's cool. The other thing is, I like the. Uh, I have the switch. I have the big switch, so I can, I can, I can. I, I, it's you know, some guys like to say, "Let me I throw pass. in the linear." I yeah. throw the, I throw the switch. I go back to five watts, and they could always still hear me. Always, you know, it's not as comfortable, and that's why if you're gonna, you know, if you're in it for rag chewing as I am, it really, it really is kind of nice to have the additional, you know, twelve dB or so. So, uh, but, but it has made it more pleasant. There's another secret there too, uh, Bill, and uh, I, I just want to make this point. You got a Moxon antenna, a beam. That's great. And that that's not and that's not very expensive to build, and it's not a big structure, and, and it makes a big difference. And I, I I'm harking back to the story of the guy that was living in an apartment, had an attic antenna, complained about uh, you know he he wasn't getting out, so his answer was to buy an IC seventy eight hundred for over ten grand. Oh, man. That was going to make things different. No, it wasn't. No, no. It wasn't going to make anything different. It was your antenna. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, yeah, no. The, it, and even in the, the attic. the system. Stuff. Yeah, the system. Yeah. This, this Moxon is really, it's, it, man, it's, it's great. I love this antenna. Every time I look up there and it's still up in the sky and hasn't fallen apart, I'm thankful. It's nine pounds in weight and probably about nine pounds in cost, too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 And, 20 uh, bucks. There you and go. And so, uh, I mean, uh, look, take a look at the Moxon. For, for 20 or 17, they're really small, easy to spin with a TV rotor, and uh, three cheers for Lex Mox, Les Moxon. It makes my station feel a little bit more British. Yeah, there you go. Hey, speaking of that, I just wanted to put a plug in for uh, the GQRP Club and uh, the Sprat Store. So it's worth the uh, it's worth joining. Uh, I, I guess you can buy stuff uh, from the Sprat Store without being a GQRP member, but it sure helps. But I just acquired a 9 megahertz filter, uh, crystal filter, nice filter with two matching crystals, and delivered to my front door was 31 bucks. It's that, amazing. That is a bargain. No, <laughs> no. And the, the, that is a bargain. And the great thing about using that store is that it's, it's, it's a store that's stocked with our needs in mind. Yeah. In other words, it's not like you walk into a Radio Shack where 70, 75% of the parts that are there are <laughs> values that you're never going to use. All this is all oriented towards HF homebrew uh, construction projects. So that and the magazine. The magazine is just 
it's an amazing magazine. It's right at the right level. It's uh, you know it's all done by by real hams. It's there's a very nice fraternal spirit to it, and you really even though even though the club is five thousand miles away, or in your case eight thousand miles away, you feel you really do feel like you're part of that club. Yeah. So good sprat. Yeah, re- really good stuff. And you know the the articles in there are usually not a lot of parts and uh they're they're aimed at people who are just sort of starting out would like to get their like to solder their fingers together and uh i i i really commend those guys they work hard at uh coming up with stuff that's that's useful and it even has quite a few projects with valves in them valves are cool <laughs> valves are valves cool are coming back Make your own valve in your garage. Oh there yeah, that's, that's, that comes up all the time. That comes up. The hack Hackaday did that. And, yeah, uh, yeah. Hey, listen, one thing I want to mention is I know some some guys who are listeners who are uh, kind of you know in in tough economic situation looking for work. And I always anytime something comes along, I noticed this morning that Hackaday is looking for uh, is hiring. It's it's hiring people to be like writers and contributors. So I know there's some folks out there who could use a few extra bucks, especially as Christmas approaches. So if you're in that situation, go to the Hackaday site, check it out, talk to them. They're very nice folks, and uh, maybe they could, you know, add some add some income to the, to the situation. Yeah, that's yeah. good. Yeah, yeah. So check it out. It'll be a very nice opportunity. Pete, one hour and eight minutes, man. We're already into overtime. Plus, I gotta I gotta go. We got I, my my mom is coming to visit. And I gotta oh, go. We gotta get the, we gotta get the house ready, and then we're gonna start the Thanksgiving preparations. Oh yeah! But this has been a blast. Be terrific. Don't solder your. Hey, ha- happy Turkey Day to you, Bill, and to our um, uh, listeners uh, across the world. I mean, you know, Thanksgiving's not celebrated everywhere uh, at this time, but here in the United States, especially, it's a big holiday. I, I can tell by the traffic at the grocery store. <laughs> you know, it's one big of the, time. You know, I, you're right. It's a, it's it's an American holiday, and so thanks, happy Thanksgiving to all the U.S. listeners. But I know everybody else around the world. I, I, it's 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 our favorite holiday. I think. It's very uncommercial. It's very family oriented. It's very kind of a reflective holiday. It's very peaceful. It's a nice holiday. So uh, I know that uh, our overseas listeners are kind of are sympathetic as we go in and and, uh, and celebrate Thanksgiving and eat a, a lot of turkey. Oh yeah, and a little Italian food too. Yeah, you got it. Mangiamo. Mangiamo. Yeah, there you go. Hey, have a great day. Ciao, Pete. Ciao. Seven threes from the left coast. Seven threes from Northern Virginia. The Solder Smoke Podcast is produced once or twice a month using roadkill computers in an electronics workshop somewhere in the wilds of Northern Virginia. The podcast is available via iTunes and directly from our website, soldersmoke.com. Our blog, the Solder Smoke Daily News, is at soldersmoke.blogspot.com. Send email to soldersmoke, that's one word, at yahoo.com. Solder Smoke is listener-supported. And there are many ways you can help keep the podcast going. Please spread the word. Let your friends know about Solder Smoke, the podcast, and our blog. Put links to the podcast and the blog on your websites. Buy a copy of the critically acclaimed book, Solder Smoke, Global Adventures in Wireless Electronics, available from lulu.com. Begin all your visits to Amazon via the Amazon link on our blog page. In this way, Solder Smoke gets a commission from anything you buy on Amazon. Buy some of our attractive Solder Smoke t-shirts, coffee mugs, and bumper stickers at the Solder Smoke store at cafepress.com. If you have a small business, 
consider advertising on the podcast or on the blog. Our rates are reasonable and our staff is friendly. If none of this appeals to you but you still want to help, well, we have a donation button in the upper left-hand corner of the blog page. However you choose to help, we thank you for your support. Ciao, bravi ragazzi! Thank you.